And we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I am your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Hey, what's going on, dude? Not much, not much. And uh, yeah, we have a fun episode lined up for you guys today. Uh, no guests, um, although over the next several weeks, we're going to have quite a few of them. So uh, keep an eye out for that as we have those uh, those lined up, um, which is always fun. I, I don't know. How do you feel about uh, when we have guests on? Uh, it's generally a good time. I'm a huge fan of having people, uh, other than you to talk to. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Uh, what? <laughs> no, it's fun. I mean, I, obviously we started the show with the intent of having lots of guests on the show. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that now that I've done, now that we've done so many episodes where it's, you know, kind of just the two of us, I do actually like look forward to having the mix of both, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I definitely do um, do kind of look forward to, to mixing it up. But although I will say that, um, kind of as a consequence of having a bunch of guests on the show, that um, we've definitely kind of come into contact with a lot of different people um, mm-hmm. throughout the community, and that's always been really cool. Um, you know how welcoming you know all of those people have been. Uh, you know, from you know Wally DM to Rob to. Um, you know, Graham from last week, uh, you know, basically everybody that we've had on the show has been super, super friendly. You know, Lucas, for instance. Oh, yeah. They're good noodles. <laughs> I, I'm very glad we have gotten to meet them. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I guess quick question, because I know that you were doing uh, streaming for a little bit kind of before we started the show. Um, I know it's been a little bit since you've had a chance to get back into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, while you were streaming, were you collaborating with anybody like on a regular basis? Well, you know I was. Um, we we were playing Among Us weekly. Um, there were almost always at least two or three other small-scale streamers in our Among Us games. You were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually I miss it a lot. <laughs> so, so when are we going back? When's it happening again? Uh, Among Us or me streaming or both? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know when when I'm less busy for Among Us, I guess. Um, and I've actually uh, I've had garbage internet for quite a while, and uh, I'm just waiting on better internet to come my way to get back to streaming. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um. Now, now, real quick, in that same line of questioning. Yeah. You also used to stream before we <laughs> started doing this show. Oh, and boy. it has been longer since your last stream. When's like, that coming back? Oh, man. I think at this point, I, I'm just going to have to say probably not anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, Disappointing. Yeah, I know. And I, the thing is, too, is like I have. So back then, I was recording, um, like, Basically, like, either I was doing a stream for Among Us or a stream for Pokemon Reborn. And as much as I love Pokemon Reborn, um, you know, and I think I'm like 30, you know, 30 sessions into that, into mm-hmm. that playthrough, right? 30 parts. And they were like, you know, good length, you know, streams. I wasn't, you know, streaming for like short periods of time. It was usually a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of fun with it, but I think if I were to start streaming again... It would feel weird to pick up that playthrough, um, just because like 
it's been so long since I've played that I would almost myself would have to go back and watch the previous streams just to even catch up and see where I was at. And then also too, I feel like when it comes to like Pokemon streams, and maybe this is just my bias, like my the way that I feel about it now, but if you're not like if you're not nuzlocking it, I feel like there aren't really very very high stakes. You know what I mean? Ooh, that's fair. That's super fair. Like, I feel like when you're streaming Pokemon in particular, I think, like, the idea of having stakes and, like, doing it through a Nuzlocke um, is is really interesting because it adds a lot more drama to the game than there would be otherwise, or, like, some sort of penalty system. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to literally be a Nuzlocke, but, like, something like that I think is really interesting. And that's why, like, if I ever do go back to streaming, or if you ever go back to streaming, I would love to see you implement your, um, to do, like, Nuzlocke's you know, during those streams, which I know this is very far removed from what the podcast is normally about, but, um, <laughs> Hey man, listen, this podcast is about us and what we want to talk about realistically. Yeah. I mean, but we do try to keep it D and D adjacent, right? Yeah. Um, well, but what I did want to, um, just kind of close that thought out on is, um, I, I really liked, uh, back in the day when you used to do your Nuzlocke where you would change up the rules after every gym. Oh yeah. That was a good time. Oh man. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, and I think that that's, like, the exact kind of thing that you want when you're doing, um, like, streaming in general. Because, like, having that interaction is really cool um, when it comes Mm -hmm. to, like, particularly smaller audiences. Um, Yeah. You know, obviously that doesn't scale all that well. I mean, well, it can scale actually fairly well, because then instead of doing it as just anybody can offer a rule, you can just make it a straw poll, and then from there, just whatever the vote wins. But but I think that that's a really novel idea, and something that I haven't really seen anybody do. so something that I think that, you know, certainly you should, uh, you should get on. Yeah, that's actually, uh, that's a really good idea. So, you know, when I come back to, to my own live streams, uh, we'll see where that goes. Cause I, I did definitely want to do Pokemon at some point. Um, aside from just Pokemon showdown, cause I did that a bit while I was streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, those were really just talking streams, <laughs> and I would just happen to be playing Pokemon in the background. I mean, I think that's fine, though. Like, when it comes yeah. to streaming in general, I, I think the consistency is almost more important than what you're doing. Well, the consistency and your charisma, I think, are almost mm-hmm. more important than what you're actually doing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, now I want to stream. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we used to stream the show um, at one point, and I think there were definitely some like positives and negatives to doing it that way. Um, I will say, going back and listening to the episodes, like having the live guest interaction was kind of cool, like the live interaction mm-hmm. with chat in lieu of having guests. Um, yeah, but I do think it was. Um, I don't think it's as good for the podcast format, um, just because I think that like because we're reading um, from chat, it was a lot easier for us to get off topic. Um, mm-hmm. Incredibly so. So I think that, you know, ultimately it's been better for us to do the recordings as we do now, which is kind of like off, you know, offline, basically. Um, Off live, at least. Honestly, I think uh, a a mix of the two, not just only doing offline recordings and not just doing live streams, would be best for us. So that's something we should actually look into. Like... Mm -hmm. Because I, I do like the live interaction with the audience. Yeah, we'd have to work it into some sort of schedule, though. Maybe like once a month mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, we could definitely do something like that. I I can definitely see the benefits of it. It's just for me, like I do like the um the added flexibility of not having to keep to like a regimented schedule exactly, even though we do tend to record around the same day and time. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, like because we're recording it um you know, kind of asynchronously a little bit where we're we're recording, but like if I need to get up to go do something, I can do that and just fix it in post. Whereas if it comes out of a Twitch stream, it's a little bit harder for me to do that. Yeah. Like I feel, I feel socially pressured to like remain there. You know what I mean? Like if rather than like getting up. Yeah, that's, that's super fair, but you should feel pressured because I'm pressuring you. Oh boy. I feel the pressure. (laughs) You're not allowed to get up. No bathroom breaks. Oh boy. That's going to be a problem. Because I'll just have to wet myself. Oh no. <laughs> uh, hey, look, man, you, you want me to pee myself, right? I apologize to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> but not me? No, why would I apologize to you? Because you love me. Okay. Oh, Lord of mercy. Um, so, um, we're, we're very far removed from what our, what our sensible point of the podcast is, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I do want us to get back into at some point. I'd love to, to do more streams at some point. Um, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you're in a place where we can do that. Yeah. Soon, TM. Yeah. Well, I mean, as it is, we haven't even really been able to play D&D, um, or at least I haven't. Yeah. I don't know if you've been able to find time, but. Nope. Um, but you know, I've, I've had a lot going on, uh, you know, in the personal life, uh, you know, I'm moving, I'm buying a house that's, you know, busy. Uh, it's just a lot of work. Allegedly. You're allegedly buying a house. We can't prove it. Well, uh, I can prove it. I can prove it to you. I'm, Uh, I think for obvious reasons, not going to post like my address online, but you know, (laughs) nah, sounds like fake news. Okay, all right, that's fair. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm allegedly buying a house, so um, that's definitely taken up a lot of time. And obviously, you've been really busy this month too. Um, so it, you know, kind of as a rule, you haven't been able to attend our weekly sessions, and just you know, because of the timing, we've had other absences as well. And I try not to run games where there's half the party missing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just I don't want because we're like so close to the end of the campaign. I really don't want to. Uh, really don't want to have to run into that situation where like major story moments are happening and your characters are not there to like give genuine reactions. Particularly because like the party's not super large. Yeah, if we were like six people big, it'd be one thing. But there's only four of us. Yeah, I mean that too. It's like also your character tends to be one of the talking ones. Like you know, some sometimes players will like ease into the background of roleplay. Right. And like, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily desirable, but in those situations, at least like if that person's not there and not contributing to the role play, at least it's not necessarily out of character. But my character is very vocal. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Like, I-, I refuse to believe there would be situations where dialogue is happening and your character is not involved in some way. Yeah, that's that's really that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Do you tend to run sessions when um when there's like a bunch of people missing or do you just find something else to do? Uh, I honestly generally avoid playing if any of my players are missing. Oh, really? Um, because we don't really 
use our D&D sessions to play D&D. We use them to just catch up and hang out. And then sometimes there's D&D. <laughs> Honestly, I think you've touched on kind of the most important part of the game. <laughs> it's just like, it is just an artificial reason to get together and hang out. Yeah, it's it's our excuse to just chill. Um, and we play D&D most of the times because that is the reason, quote unquote, that we're getting together. Um, but like, for our group, if if somebody's missing, we don't generally want to play without them. Um, because my party is mostly very vocal. Um, so if one person is missing, it's super noticeable. Mm-hmm. And I guess as a, as a DM, you don't feel comfortable trying to RP what they would do or say. I, I do not do that. It makes me <laughs> super uncomfy all the time. <laughs> See, I actually kind of enjoy the challenge. No, sounds like too much work. <laughs> so I, I kind of think it's important too, because like, I, I think it's a couple of things that are happening there. One, like one, mm-hmm. I enjoy the the challenge of having to role play as a friend of mine, um, sure. role play as a character rather. Um, and two, I think that like if I can role play your character, I think that means that inherently you're doing a good job role playing, because it means there is enough of a character there that I can be like consistent to it. Uh, that's super fair. So I'd rather not try. <laughs> I, I guess for me, like I use it as kind of a, um, both a means to kind of fill in for the character. Cause like sometimes only one person's missing and I do want the games to happen. Cause you know, there mm-hmm. are going to be some weeks where one person can't attend for multiple weeks in a row. I don't want that to have to be no D and D for everybody. Um, so I will use that. Um, I, I will tend to do that in those sessions, but the minute that we get to like the, like two people aren't there, even in like larger groups, I try not to, to run if I can help it. Um, like I would say like, once you get to like 50% attendance, like you really, you might be better served as canceling or doing something else entirely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, those, that is a fair percentage to not run. Um, my games are, way more rp and way less combat than yours though mm-hmm. so like if somebody is not there to role play i'm them for like actually three hours mm-hmm. <laughs> like i can i i can put them in combat situations but it the way i run it'll feel super forced because i almost always give them a way out and if i just go nope you have to fight it's usually going to feel awkward. Well, I don't think you're going like, oh, you have to fight. But I definitely think there are some situations you can engineer that are more easily solved with violence than not. Not for Julian. (laughs) Julian's character did not fight unless he absolutely had to. I see. Oh, that reminds me, actually. Um, So what character is Julian playing nowadays? Uh, the last character he played was, oh man, I forget his name, but he was, uh, he was a bounty hunter mm-hmm. that only hunted one or two bounties for the whole campaign. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and like, he was, he was very financially motivated. I can appreciate that. And honestly... 
he had a personality. <laughs> like, I would sit there and be like, damn, this character is more real than Alan. Oh, oh okay. And that's not a dig at Alan. No, Alan's a good guy. And very, very tangible. And a character. <laughs> um, But there, there are some times where Julian was playing his character and I was like, holy shit, this is like a real ass person. Even though I knew it, it wasn't a real person. Because he was super consistent. He didn't like... He didn't ever do anything that felt like it wasn't what he would do. Right. Because, like, sometimes you're playing D&D and, like, you may have a character, but occasionally, like, you just want to do something for the memes, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. a lot of our characters in, like, my campaign fall into this <laughs> into this trap where it's, like, our characters are, like, mostly consistent, like, in, in our current campaign, but, like, a lot of them will do stuff for the memes. Yeah. Yeah. But... Not this guy. Saul. No? No, that was... Silver. His name was Silver. Yeah, Saul was the other guy. Saul was the space dude. Yeah, who also was very consistent and quite fun. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, the reason I ask is because I um, I saw a story a little bit earlier today, and I apologize um, that I can't cite who I got it from because I literally cannot read their Twitter... Their, uh, not Twitter, their uh, Discord handle. Um, mm-hmm. But it was in regards to, like, uh, my idea is like in response to like non-standard characters. So um, their post was essentially something along the lines of, "Well, cats had the bag. The whole party went down, and so you know, uh, it said something along the lines of like, you know, the cats had the bag. My uh, my bugbear paladin went down fighting a massive spider. Two other characters already down, stabilized but poisoned. Two more restrained by webbings. It was looking grim. As my paladin went down, out came my intellect devourer and saved the day by killing the spider." I now have to explain. I now have some explaining to do before I regain the trust of the party. So, like, so what I gather from this is that his character is actually an intellect devourer that was, you know, chilling in a bugbear brain. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, non-standard characters are the best. <laughs> just like, <laughs> um, like you know, not just uh, you know, like you know, ooh, I'm actually a, an intelligent sword, or I'm actually an intellect devourer, or I'm actually a ghost, or a Sith spirit that's possessed this other this Wookiee, um, or all these like other variations of like you know X possessing Y, mm-hmm. but just like different ways to do like little variations that are kind of outside the standard scope of what the game usually is. Um, you know, like even I think back to like our sagas game, right, where I had uh, our friend Bob play as the big bad evil guy for the entirety of the campaign, right? Um, yeah, good times, good times. Yeah, so like I, I kind of really enjoy that kind of thing, and I, I want to, you know, kind of uh, think of a couple of different variations on that that you know maybe we could try one of these days, uh, you know, if we ever get a chance to play new players or new characters, I guess. Um. I would love to play the main villain of a campaign. Like that that sounds like an actual like fun thing to do. Mm. Um because would you like do it in the same way. Probably kind of similar. Um because like can you imagine me, Marvin ass Marvin, role playing some stupid character and then all of a sudden I turn on you. 
It's all those times of him joking about killing the party, and then he actually did it. Yeah, like, imagine that. Just imagine Isaac Shadowfist, like, actually the villain of that campaign. Wait, and he was the villain the whole time. Yeah, it'd be good. <laughs> Just imagine it'd, that. It'd definitely be good. Yeah, I think something like that. I know that I've also like wanted to do. Um, I know I've wanted to do like a. I don't know how to put it. You know how it's like sometimes you look at a game and you're like, yeah, like you should just be playing a superhero game, but then you think to yourself, like, no, but I don't want to play a superhero game. I want to play superheroes in D and D. Sure. <laughs> so, like for a long time, I was thinking of running a uh, a campaign in Dungeons and Dragons specifically, where like everybody is gifted a supernatural ability right off rip, um, mm-hmm. like inciting incident. You know, there's like a magical explosion, and everybody wakes up with superpowers, and then like I would just like I would just give everybody a supernatural ability, and then that would be the campaign. Um, rolling with that. Um, I really want to do that. I'm still somewhat intrigued by doing some rift on this idea. Um, I don't know how I would do it. Maybe I'd give everybody a new skill check and just say, like, that's the skill you have to use to try and use your ability. Um, whatever it may be. But it's something that I've definitely kind of, like, rolled around in my head. Mostly because I've always wanted to really kind of rechannel the, um, the like, roleplay elements of the Vane City campaign that we used to play. Um, for those who have listened uh, to the previous uh, episode that we had with Dylan on the show, um, he had a homebrew setting um, that was a superhero campaign. And in the early iterations of his homebrew game, um, it was very, very, very rules light um, to the point where it's like you have a, like a superpower ability and basically you were just rolling on a D100 to determine whether or not you could do any given thing with that ability. It was really up to the player to decide like how they would try and implement it. And mm-hmm. kind of after, like since stopping, like since dropping that campaign, right. For those first, like, you know, 13 sessions or whatever it was. Um, I've been chasing that high ever since, like looking for opportunities to like have players be put in that situation where they can be like truly creative with their mm-hmm. abilities and D and D does that to an extent, but because of the, like the standard action, et cetera system and the very like concrete nature of the spells, I find that a lot of the players in our game, at least they don't tend to think out of the box all that much. Uh, yeah, that's, that's super fair. It's kind of hard to think out of the box when like basically everything has a very specific defined use. Hmm. Because, like, that's what a lot of 5e is. It's things with very specific uses. Yeah, I know it is. But just, like, there are also times where I wish that, like, Ollie was like, hey, I, you know, I I create light by just conjuring a small firebolt and just hold it in my hand, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, simple things like that, I I wish were um, more... uh, unique and like not that i blame andrew because obviously andrew was was and still remains a relatively new player mm-hmm. but given like everybody's skill set you know there are definitely times where i wish like oh things were a little bit different <laughs> you know that I, I wish players would would kind of like be willing to take more creative liberties both with the power sets that they have as well as kind of making like logical leaps as far as like what they can try and do in the first place mm-hmm yeah, that's that's super fair. That's that's definitely 
Yeah. And like, I don't know if it's just like me as a DM, maybe I don't make it clear that I'm okay with this sort of thing. You know, and I don't even know how to do that without like outright saying like, hey, I want you guys to try and like, you know, you know, fuck around and find out. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't see a problem with saying exactly that, honestly. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe that's just what I got to do. But like, I definitely do wish like more of that happened. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're like looking for opportunities to do cool things. Cause like, you know, I want the game to feel cinematic at times. And I think sometimes the game can feel a little bit too much like a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I feel that I've definitely been there. Um, but you kind of just gotta like roll with it sometimes. That's the problem is that, like, you know, when combat starts, like, everyone's looking at it from the raw, just DPS, right? It's like, you know, if I do this thing wrong, like, not everybody, but a lot of our players are doing that. And it's just like, I wish that wasn't the the case. And I don't know if it's just that, like, maybe my combat encounters are too punishing to where, like, because they're so dangerous, it's not really incentivizing them to try different things. Um. But, like, you guys are also high level, so, like, I don't even know what else to do about that. Like, you guys are going to have to get beat up a little bit from time to time. I mean, honestly, most of your combat encounters aren't even that punishing. Like, yes, they're they're pen- punishing sometimes, and the danger is definitely there. But I've definitely been more scared than most of your combat yeah, I mean, like, I think it's fairly given that, like, most of the fights you guys run into are largely winnable in some capacity. Like, I try not to set up encounters that are, like, outright meat grinders, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes I will attrition the shit out of you guys, but, like, when you have high-level characters, like, there really isn't much else you can do about it. Um, and honestly, I think that's one of the big things that's missing from from like when i read about uh you know different dms who are having a hard time with higher level characters like oh i can't stop my players and it's just like i don't know i feel like you're just not utilized like you're not burning out of their resources enough then like there definitely is an upper limit too many rests yeah because like even you guys like you're like what a so in our last session you guys entered the small cavern there's like creatures around you got into a fight you were split up and you know you guys are maybe, like, four hours out from your last long rest, and, like, the majority of you still have a, you know, a healthy number of spell slots. Sure, the HP totals are a little bit on the low side for a couple of the characters, but most of the characters here have full HP, uh, or very Mm -hmm. close to it. So it's like, yeah, the players might look at that and say, oh, man, like, our fighter's down to 10 HP, and the bard's down to 24. Like, that's not good. And we've already short-rested, so we don't even have that many hit dice available anymore. And it's like, yeah, man, but, like, if I just keep throwing long rests at you guys, then, you know, of course you're never going to be in any real danger. And yeah, it's going to be a whole lot harder to challenge you. Part of it is that yep. if I want to throw a, you know, a medium level encounter at you guys now, like, yeah, the fighter's going to have to figure out, well, Paladin, I guess, is going to have to figure out what he's going to do about his about his low HP total. And maybe the answer is just they're going to burn a bunch of spell slots ahead of time to heal up. But like, if that's the case, then sure, like, that's, that's the thing that they've done. Um, that's mm-hmm. the choice that they've made. And they just gotta deal with it. Yeah. 
Because, like, I'm not saying that, like, you know, higher-level characters don't get busted in 5e, but, like, I've never really understood why it is that, like, some DMs look at it and they're like, oh, it's so difficult to, like, make challenging encounters for for high-level characters. And just, like, yeah, in isolation, but, like, none of these encounters should be happening in isolation. Not all of them. At most, the first one of the day. But, like, beyond that, you know, especially especially in dungeons, like, you should not be engineering situations where your players can just have infinite long rests. Like, mm-hmm. you need to be able to put them in situations where they need to get challenged and they need to tax those resources because otherwise what ends up happening is exactly that. They just don't get challenged. And, you know, after every, you know, major fight, they throw up Mordenkind's, you know, watchtower or whatever, climb into the demiplane and then, you know, rest it off for eight hours. But if there's no reason for them to care about the time frame, then yeah, absolutely, they're going to keep doing that. So, you know, you set up external elements that make them care about how long they're spending on it. Yeah, like their friend potentially dying. Yeah, or like their world being destroyed. What? That's not a thing that happens in D&D games, not at all. <laughs> um... Yeah. <laughs> so, and we are actually coming up to the end here. Um, it's kind of a bummer because, like, I really wish I could discuss the, like, the, the closing fights for this campaign. But as much as I do occasionally talk about the campaign with you, like, in a way that I think I wouldn't with most players, I don't actually want to spoil the last couple of fights um, that I have planned because I do think you'll genuinely enjoy them. And I think it'll be a lot more enjoyable if you don't know what's coming up. But boy, oh, yeah. But boy, I wish I could talk about it on here. <laughs> But it's okay, because after it happens, we'll have even more fun talking about it. Yeah. I was actually chatting with uh, with Rob from the Stories and Sorceries podcast about it a little bit earlier today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, On the off chance that you can't make it a week, I, I, I may have him on and maybe we'll talk about it on air. Um, but if I do, I'll let you know so that way you don't tune in that week. Sick. <laughs> so, so that might be fun. Um, you know, if for whatever reason you can't make it. Dope. I kind of hope that there's a day I can't make it just so we can have it on recording. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause the other thing too, right. is like, that'll be a really interesting way for you to like, then go back to it later on and kind of see like what was discussed and what was kind of brainstormed at the time and see how much mm-hmm. of that actually translates into the final fight. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I just like, just skip a week and you do an episode with Rob. I mean, I'll ask him if that's what you want to do. It's not the it's not the craziest thing I've heard. I, I mean, I think it would be cool to just just to have it on recording, so I can go back later. <laughs> it's like the most self indulgent episode, but practically helpful because I, I think that like when you're brewing important fights, it really is helpful to have another person like with eyeballs on it to bounce you know to to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. I never do that. Interesting. Is it just because like you don't have a lot of people in your orbit that can help with that, or just you don't tend to talk about it? I don't really think about talking about it. Um, I just kind of roll with it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess also like you're not you don't tend to run so many encounters that like it even comes up in the first place. <laughs> Yeah, I generally have, like, a final combat or a final boss or something like that for most of my campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it's not like there's no combat. It's just most of the time it's very light, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
No, I, I definitely know what you mean. It's... I don't know. I mean, I've always enjoyed the, the wargaming aspect of the game, so it's something that I always do spend a lot of um, a lot of energy looking at. I do find it's a really good time time eater too. Like you know, throw mm-hmm. throw an encounter, and if you don't know what else to do for the day, <laughs> uh, that's fair. I kind of just let the the players like make up something to do for the day. Honestly, yeah, I guess it just depends on what's going on around them. Yeah, they're. They're real good at just making stuff up to do. Oh, honestly, like half the reason there's so little combat in my current campaign, because it's it's definitely less in this campaign than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just because like I kind of just put them in a sandbox, like literally in a sandbox and mm-hmm. figuratively. Um, they were on a beach for a while. <laughs> um. But I kind of just literally gave them an open world space and said, this is the world you live in. Uh, this is how you know each other, if at all, because some of them didn't know each other. Um, go nuts. Have fun. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? This is what's around you right now. I see. Actually, I have a question, kind of a follow-up to that. Have you ever mm-hmm. have you ever like taken a homebrew campaign and then rerun it for a new group of players? Uh... I have, and it never turns out the same. Oh, okay. Because that's what's happening right now. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't realize. Uh, so do tell. Um, so the first time it was, um, it was more. The plot followed Full Metal Alchemist a little bit more. Um, if you recall, in Full Metal Alchemist. Spoilers for Full Metal Alchemist, the manga, and Brotherhood. Oh boy, um, do I. <laughs> there are several points in the story where um, the people pulling the strings behind the scenes of the government have lots of dying happen at very specific places so that they can... Um, I'm Since I gave the spoiler warning, I'm just going to say it. Uh, turn people into Philosopher's Stones. Um, and they do that in like a transmutation circle type thing that they make out of very large areas that are not immediately obvious unless you're paying attention to it. Um, so I had the first time I ran this campaign, it was very much that, um, somebody was orchestrating that thing, um, and the the players were trying to stop that and they figured they figured out the plan they figured out that's what was happening because to them it just seemed like random mass murders so they 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 were like we're good people we have power we can try to stop it let's try to stop it never got to the end of it that time mm-hmm. um but the hook was the same there's uh there's a man within with orange eyes who stole a book from a uh, deity's temple. The deities changed because the first time I was running in 5e using the Forgotten Realms Pantheon, uh, the second time I was using the doing it in Pathfinder with their Pantheon. Um, and the deities aren't one-to-one, so I kind of had to shift things around a little bit. But the general concept started off the same. Guy with orange eyes stole a book from a temple the book may or may not be tied to the the dying. Mm. 
um, the players, the first time, were just like, we're going to follow the plot, we're going to see what happens. And they did it, and we never got to finish, but they would have eventually, if they had continued playing the way they were playing, been in a position where they would try to stop it. Um, This time, however, um, the players touched on... They they paid more attention to a subplot about uh, somebody trying to summon demons. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they went all in on that. They were like, demon apocalypse, let's stop that. I see. And they they never like even talked to the the dudes who would tell them about the uh the philosopher's stone esque thing and they even went to an alternate timeline where that happened um and they don't know that it happened because it wasn't relevant to the things they were trying to do but it is a thing that happened in that alternate timeline i see interesting Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely considered doing something similar with the current campaign. Um, mm-hmm. But truthfully, like so many of the of the like key events are so like relevant to like the character backgrounds that like it, I know it would be very very different. It would by de- definition have to be very different. Yeah, I I think if you were to try to do something like that for this it would more have to be another story in this timeline. Maybe yeah. concurrent, but I don't think you could do the exact same um, storyline. It would be really tough. Like, I could still do a lot of elements of it. Like, if I wanted to, I could very easily do the the um, the you know, reveal of, like, oh, the bad guy has altered your memory, your pack story is not your own, mm-hmm. to, like, any one of the players, and it would be just as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so like really all it becomes is like, how do I turn point A into, you know, into like culminating into the, into the plane jumping aspect of the campaign? Like that, mm-hmm. that's really just what it boils down to. How do I put you guys in a position where you have to, you know, jump worlds and then, you know, from there, how do I put you in a position where you run across a guy who knows you that really shouldn't have any way to know you? Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it would be very different. And the thing is too, is like, because the current players, um, in the campaign really disregarded the first couple of plot hooks that I threw at them. Mm-hmm. I know that like, ver- that any number of different players would definitely have like followed down that line and like, who knows what I would have improvised if we had done that instead. Yeah. I do like starting off a campaign the same, like the same premise the same locations the same everything up until a certain point and then wherever the players take it is where you go with it <laughs> like how every playthrough in skyrim starts off the same yeah every every time you start skyrim you end up on the wagon right mm-hmm. like i i very much like that idea uh every time you run a campaign in this particular setting you wake up on the wagon unless your players have already played the campaign. Yeah, yeah. I guess it would be fairly easy to do like like concurrent events. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have the advantage with the way that I run my current campaign and that, like, there's a lot of space to do concurrent events that doesn't necessarily have to, like, even intersect with what's going on. Um, yeah. On the front end and could still be very relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I do kind of do that a little bit, <laughs> you know, with, like, uh, you know, some of the one-shots, right? Yeah. I think one-shots are a really cool tool for, like, telling stories of other events that are happening in the same timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, one of the original stories I was going to run with this, uh, with this campaign was this idea of these, like, demons infiltrating this, uh, this, like, you know, government bureaucracy and like this government bureaucracy like arranging for people to sell their souls to to these demons or whatever um Mm -hmm. and like this you know this like resistance movement that uh that was heavily invested in the previous royal family and is looking to like try and put a new royal on the throne um to overthrow the current um you know representative government you know air quotes representative government Mm -hmm. so that was a, a original campaign idea that we ran with, and we ended up doing something else in this campaign. The players disregarded that plot line, just kind of left it there. Um, <laughs> like, it's an incredible... You know, it's it's actually still very likely that you may have evidence on you at this moment of, like, this oh? problem. Oh? I Arnon just has, this, has, like, these demon contracts on him. He's had them since, like, he was level three. Like, they weren't in the bag of holding that got flipped inside out by Dremus in the Dragon's Lair. So, like, he still presumably has them in his bag. I, mm. Anyways. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, bud, what's that in your bag? Oh, these papers? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, kind of looks I totally forgot about that. Oh, Yeah. I don't know. Some some guy was selling their soul to a demon or something. I don't know. Th- these are just the blank, the blank, uh, the blank papers. Uh, I guess if you want to sign on the bottom, you could do that. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so like, I feel like if I were to run the campaign again, almost assuredly the players would be a lot more interested. Like most players would probably pick up on that main plot thread and keep going with it. I definitely would. And. During that, I wanted to eventually run a... Because, like, I had this idea that I wanted to run to this campaign, and I didn't ultimately get to do it, because you guys were off-world when the world was destroyed, or collapsed. So I ended up doing something else entirely different, but what I wanted to do at one point is I wanted to do a... um... So, like, in the center of town, there's this tower that, like, goes... It's basically a space elevator, like, in, in height, right? It basically goes directly into space. Um, so, right. anybody who's on the ground can't see the top. And what I really wanted to do was, like, an extinction-level event where some very well-meaning but very misinformed um, extremists break into this tower and use, like, anti-magic grenades to, like, break the magical substrates, causing this tower to collapse. Oh, and so that, that that doesn't sound healthy. <laughs> well, I mean, extinction level event, right? Because like, if a space elevator breaks, like, guess what? It's wrapping around the planet at least once, um, and that's bad news. So, I really wanted to do this, and there was a couple ways I was thinking about doing it. One, I was thinking about having it just kind of, if you guys picked up on the plot line, like, great, you guys could stop it, and. 
I ended up changing my mind, but what I was originally going to do is because the players in the current campaign looked away and allowed that plot to continue, I wanted to eventually run a um run a one shot where you guys were the um the insurgents, like were the the rebels. And I wanted mm-hmm. to run that session where you guys broke into the tower, you know, went through the the plan or whatever, you know, fought against the guards, fought against the the head demon or whatever, and planted the anti magic grenades and then detonated them. And like that mm-hmm. was supposed to be the end of the thing, right? Um, you know, it, you know, it, imagining like you know your character kind of like, you know, in one of the upper parts of the tower, looking over and seeing the curvature of the world, and then suddenly having the whole tower tip forward while you're in it. Like, mm-hmm. not only is this is this literally pulled out of one of my nightmares, but um, you know, it's just it's a really <laughs> cool. No, I'm not kidding. This is where I got this idea from. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's like very specific phobia, I guess. It's just being in a tower. Um, you know, that definitely has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, I saw 9-11 happen on TV. Um, so I, I had the idea of running this campaign and doing that. Um, and then what I wanted to do is when we flip back to the next session, I wanted your characters to notice the large tower in the distance suddenly tipping over a bit. And then, like, having the players collectively realize, oh, we just did a dumb... <laughs> You know what would be even better? Yeah. Instead of next session, you have, at the end of that session, we go, you you just say, uh, now, back to Gris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, and what I was going to do, actually, is I was going to have that be a, a spark moment for the players. I eventually decided not to make everybody in the, in the party a Planeswalker, but, like, that would be, like, a, like, you know, satisfying way to ensure that everybody is about to die at the same time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately I ended up doing something different, but that was definitely an idea that I had at one point. Yeah, I think we actually talked about that quite a while ago, probably around the time you started this campaign. Um, yeah, I think you had called me, I think I was at Tate's, actually, <laughs> <laughs> when we had this conversation. I think I was outside Tate's. <laughs> I'm glad that you remember it. Um, But yeah, I think that would have been real dope. And if we didn't find a way to travel through the planes before that, I think that would have been a really good way to make that happen. Yeah. As it happens, I found a um, convenient enough way to introduce a means for you guys to do that. Like one of the issues that I have with like having everybody have the ability to jump planes inherently is it becomes very difficult to keep you guys pinned down in one place. <laughs> and um, it also makes it very difficult to keep the party together. Mm-hmm. Because when we can all go to wherever, whatever plane we want and nobody's having fun with Arnon that day, why should we be around Arnon? <laughs> yeah. Um, Precisely. And that's the thing, is like, it, when one of the players in the party is a planeswalker, even two, it's really not that big of a deal, because, like, clearly the main plot has to still get solved at some point or another. Mm-hmm. But if everybody can jump worlds at the, you know, at, even if there's some restrictions on it, which, like, I do have with Nick, right? Mm-hmm. If he wants to planeswalk, like, generally speaking, he can't do it mid-combat. Um, yeah. Which I can think is an fine. amount of time. Yeah, which I think is a fair compromise. Like, I did give him basically a, a uh, plane shift ability, right? Um, uh-huh. Uh, but that's the thing, is that, like, you know, if you guys get that ac- access to that... That's the thing. If you guys get access to that early on, 
that can break the game a little bit in that it would prevent you guys from being in situations. Like if I just allow you to do it as an action, it does put it such Mm -hmm. that you guys can always just emergency planes walk away if things are going really poorly. Yeah. And that means combat doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, granted, like I think the like random ish nature of the planes walking itself, right. It's not consistent where you end up. I think does matter a bit. It so, does, however, comma, if we can do it as an action, we just do it again if we have to. Yeah, again, unless you're in, in implementing some sort of limit on it. Yeah. So, which is what I have right now. Like, I know initially I had him... Initially I had him rolling on it, and I think, like, if he rolled below a certain amount for con he took like a point of exhaustion or something which i felt was fair Mm -hmm. um honestly he hasn't really planeswalked enough i think now if he were to do it i'd probably give him like a couple of times in a day before he starts rolling for it Mm -hmm. and i think that's probably the best that i can do because like technically in the current campaign um this character has had some story events happen where he's regained memories of of that past so like Hypothetically, he should have several decades practice at this point, so he should be better at it than, you know, when he first realized he had the ability at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the key thing is just making sure that, like, because this isn't an ability tied to spell slots, I need to make sure that it's an ability that does have some downside, even if he wants to push himself to do it. Mm-hmm. So... But I always kind of like the idea of that of that being an option, right? Of like being able to like cast from life, you know what I mean? Like to really like push yourself to do something, even if it's against your limits. Yeah, that's very anime of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, who doesn't want to go even further beyond, right? Okay, Goku. <laughs> I'm not kidding though. Like, if, I'm I'm being very serious. Like, if during one of the like you know final fights or whatever you're you're out of spell slots and you're like i just want to try and cast this this sixth level spell and like you don't have the slots but like you're like i, I don't know i'm gonna try and like tap into my life force to do it like i'd probably make it work i'd, I'd figure it out that's so exciting <laughs> and i'm saying that because i was like i wonder if owen would let me do that because i recently uh started a rewatch of full metal alchemist brotherhood oh <laughs> And I just passed the part in Briggs where Ed does that. Sorry, more spoilers for Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> I I just did the part where Ed does that. And right. I was like, I wonder if I'm allowed to do this. Maybe. Like, I don't know. I haven't come up with rules for it. But if somebody asked me mid-combat, like, I might make it happen if it makes sense. I really hope I'm in that situation so I can ask the question in the moment. <laughs> Yeah, but like, that's what I mean, right? Like, I would love my players to like have those those kind of queries. But I feel like if if we were in a fight and you know my my paladin is out of spell slots, rather than trying to like figure out a way to like to get around that, um, he would just he would just go punch. Yeah, attack action, which like is fine. That's technically what he's supposed to do. But um, but like in his case, like he has a whole ass planeswalker spark he could be working with, buddy. Like that's way more potent than like any old life force. Like you could do a lot with that. Um, so like if you want to do something like pretty extreme, like you know, I might I might let him sacrifice his spark to do it. 
but like then I'd let him do it, you know? That sounds kind of sick. I would love I would love for this campaign to end with Nick Spark just going out and he has to be a regular person again. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. But like he does it so he can save the entire multiverse or something. Yeah. Or he does it just to like specifically screw over his brother. Uh, that's the kind of spite that I don't want for my hero, and he is kind of the protagonist of this story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely has a lot of those qualities. I I try my best to make the the story about everybody involved, but like he does have some more personal skin in the game than I think some of the other players. Yeah, like it. It very much feels like. It very much feels like Star Wars. And the rest of us are Han and Leia, and he's Luke. Yes, the story is about all three of us, or all four of us, but, like, he's the one who is going to, quote-unquote, be in the final battle, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that Just a bad because, thing? like, no. I think, because there are definitely points where it is about me, and there are points where it's about Dremis and... Fewer points where it's about Ollie, but I think that's because there was a big chunk of time without Andrew. Um, mm-hmm. Also, there like, was a big chunk of time where it was only about Andrew. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it's fine to have that, and I think because of the nature of who the villain is, it's fine that Nick feels more like the main character than the rest. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Charles isn't directly our problem like what he's doing is our problem but he himself isn't somebody that the rest of us really care about beyond the bad things he's done anyway yeah like he as a person is not what we care about what he does is what we care about but nick cares about him arnon cares about charles yeah and when that's your villain, you want the person with the most connection to them to be the main one fighting. Like, that's good storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it would feel pretty anticlimactic if we had a final fight and, like, Nick's character was down to the first action. <laughs> yeah. Like, it it would be like if, in episode six, Han shot a laser from the Millennium Falcon, and that's what beat the Emperor, not Luke convincing vader to help him <laughs> or <laughs> or episode five when uh luke shoots darth vader and instead of stopping the blaster bolt he just takes it in the chest and that's it <laughs> i want a cut of star wars where that's what happens in cloud city i don't that sounds awful <laughs> uh, some kung pao shit man um uh, <laughs> but I definitely do worry about that at times though. Like and it's it's harder for um for some of these characters to like really feel like they're having like their their story moment put in because like even though I do want to do a a story beat where we do focus on Dremis and his like interactions with his like nemesis character from his backstory, like those stakes are just so much smaller by comparison and how do I go back to that after this? Um, that's the thing. It has to be after. Because, like, the stakes are smaller, but I, I definitely think that, like, you 
you can still have a lot of fun and interacting things happen at those smaller th- uh, scales after you finish the big scale thing. Yeah. And, and like, that's part of it too, right? So like right now I think you guys are what level 16. Um, mm-hmm. I have planned at least another level or so mm-hmm. um, before the end of the campaign. So you'll probably finish around 17 or 18. Um, and like, this is kind of like the end of the main arc, but like, I do want you guys to come back to it. And I do want to, because, like, that's the thing is, like, I do feel somewhat guilty that, like, Drummus has this whole backstory that, like, I've basically just never really worked with. Um, just because, like, I haven't really found a compelling way to tie it in. And, like, I don't want everybody mm-hmm. to have, like, a personal tie. Like, I think it's okay to have your, to, like, not have everything connected. Like, I don't want it to be just, you know, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man all over again where everything is connected to everything. I think that's less interesting. Yeah, that's super fair. Although, I did want to see where that would go. <laughs> yeah, like I was, I, I was invested in seeing where uh, Andrew Garfield Spider Man might have gone with the way his everything was interconnected. Mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere that he's actually getting another movie. Uh, it's a rumor. It's not confirmed or anything. Mm. I see. That'd be cool if he does. Yeah, I I would like that. Because honestly, he deserved better. (laughs) All he did was piss off Sony, and that's the only reason we never got a third movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so after we finish this current, like, major thing, like, definitely I'm gonna, I've earned a break. (laughs) <laughs> but um you know I definitely would want to play. I don't know if I'll if I'll jump right back into this after that break, but but if I do like if you guys are interested in resuming the characters, I would love to pick up on that story in some capacity. Even if like Andrew doesn't want to play Ollie again or if you don't want to play Gris necessarily, I do want to pick up where Dremus left off if nothing else. Um presuming that Dustin wants to continue with that character. I need Gris to finish his science. <laughs> Definitely doable. I mean, we'll see. I- I'm going to kind of gauge interest once the campaign ends and see like how interested are we in coming back and re- in like playing these characters again, even if it's in like you know six months to a year. Um, because mm-hmm. like I-, I recognize after long term campaigns, like it's important to have a bit of a break. No breaks. <laughs> Only campaign. Yeah, I mean, some people do that. I mean, certainly we've played this campaign long enough. No breaks, only campaign. So, uh, and truthfully, I, I miss playing as a player. It's it's something I have not had a chance to do for quite some time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Tracy's campaign has been on hiatus for for quite a while, and there's not really a uh, an ETA on when that will be resuming. So, I haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to play my Necromancer character in quite some time. And I have so many other, like, you know, player character ideas I would love to play, but just, you know, no opportunities to run them. Uh, the Curse of the Forever DM. Tell me about it. Yeah, it, it stinks sometimes. I love, like, being able to tell these stories, and I love being able to, like, share those moments with everybody, but boy does it stink when it's like, I want to play a, a character and, like, 
have my cool moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's even worse too, because like I I don't say that I backseat DM because I really try not to, but like I DM games that I would like to play in. And mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to find DMs that have similar sensibilities sometimes because everyone runs things a little bit differently. Um you know, so like I like to imagine that like if I were to play in one of your campaigns, well it would be probably a lot more heavily story oriented. Like I know there wouldn't be as much combat as I would prefer. And I, I don't think it would be realistic of me to expect you to like bend to that to that desire. Like maybe you might include more fights just because you know one of your players was really into it, but you know, I, I can't imagine you would skew it nearly as heavily as I do. Um definitely not as heavily. Maybe. I don't know. Cause like your your campaigns aren't super combat heavy. So like I think it's a reasonable amount of combat. I feel like we have like I feel like the way that I tend to run the campaign is that like I have long stints of one or the other. Where like lots of RP heavy stuff happens for like four or five sessions, and then it's just like four or five sessions of just like slogging through the through like various fights getting by the skin of your teeth yeah that's fair but that that's not bad i don't hate that (laughs) well i'm I'm glad because it means that you've you've not hated the last you know eight sessions that we've had or whatever it is um well about that i hate every session you run i mean what Especially the ones where your character ends up dead. Or dying. Uh, honestly? I I really liked that session. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if so like for context for the listeners, right? So um that session was what? It was like a single day where you guys had three different major fights. Yeah. Um and like by the second one, like, by the end of the first one, you guys were kind of gassed, and then in the middle of the second one, you guys were fighting a rock that was, like, within a very large area of silence. So, like, there was a lot of additional complications to, like, casting and such. Um, mm-hmm. And your character basically should have died at that fight, but, you know, we, we mislooked at the rules or whatever. So, by the time the next fight started earlier in the evening, as you guys were starting camp, it was dark out, there were these giant bat creatures that, like, could teleport through shadow, and basically you went down, like, after the first like first couple of, first round, I think, actually. It was um, the second action of the combat. Yeah, the second action of the combat, you went down, and then you had some unfortunate death saves, while everybody else was, like, fighting for their life. And... Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I mean by, like, challenging high-level characters, right? It's like, obviously any one of those fights you guys should have been able to walk through with, like, minimal challenge, right? Um, all things being considered. If it was only one. Exactly, right. If it was only one. Um, but, like, back-to-back like that, like, that was tough. And, you know, I kind of pushed a little bit harder than I anticipated, but I think that, like, it really did sell the danger and it really kind of like checked the player confidence a little bit where it's like before you walk around like hell we're level 14 characters we're level 15 characters nothing can touch us and it's like well you know even with these really powerful npcs with you like you guys still barely made it out alive um you know i I think it like it puts the whole place into perspective in a way Mm -hmm. this world is a problem i don't know why exandria is 
exist. <laughs> um, so you said that you enjoyed that session despite being downed basically right away. Uh, yes, because I was sitting there and I was like, I wonder if anybody's actually going to try to save me. Yeah, and and no one did. <laughs> I was like, hmm, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> And uh, immediately after that session, I started brewing my backup character. Just in case. Yeah. Yeah. It's... That's tough, because, like, and this happens a fair bit, but, like, sometimes, like, in order to play the game, like, I gotta fight with uh, against the action economy a little bit, and sometimes mm-hmm. that involves, like, setting up situations where players have to, like, waste turns doing things. Mm-hmm. Um being that, like, unconscious or whatever. And I feel bad, because, like, I feel like it happens to Andrew a fair bit, where he's just, like, he's just stun-locked out of the game for long periods of time for, like, no particular reason. It's just, like, just bad luck and bad rolls. Um, absolute champ whenever it happens, but... Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I'm glad that you were still having some enjoyment, um, despite ostensibly just watching everybody else play for, you know, an hour or whatever it was. Uh, I don't think you realize, Owen... My favorite part about being a DM is watching everyone else play. <laughs> yeah, but like you are still somewhat involved in that because you at least set up the pins. And now I set up this pin. I'm dead. Somebody <laughs> fix it. I see. Um, I'm curious. Are there any of those combat encounters that you would borrow for your own campaign? Uh, the rock in the field of silence was absolutely great. <laughs> It it definitely was an interesting challenge for, I think, a variety of reasons. Yeah. I I very much enjoyed that session, that combat specifically. Um, Also, like, the imagery of uh, Gris and Ollie hanging onto this rock, flying through the air as it climbs very steeply, was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of really memorable moments um, from that session in particular, um, just specifically for that, right? Like, the mm-hmm. idea of everybody just kind of, like, at their car, and, like, this rock just completely just swoops in, picks a guy, and just flies off, and, like, basically nobody notices. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, it's it's a real complication when, like, the majority of the party doesn't know what's happening, and it's possible the majority of the party doesn't even know they're in a cone of silence yet. Um, which was another complicating factor. Mm-hmm. Um, as you guys kind of like, because again, like if you knew that you were in an area of silence, everybody would be on alert, right? Everybody would be yeah. rolling perception checks constantly, looking around, double checking. But because nobody noticed when they got in, they just you know it just it went quiet. Nobody noticed that it was that you know there wasn't anything being said. Mm-hmm. And you know that gives the rock the opportunity to really kind of get a head start. And, you know, the downside of having a bunch of, uh, to, of being in the silent zone is that a lot of spells just don't work. You know, it, it, you start to go through your spell list, you're like, oh shit, all of these things are verbal components. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yep. It was problematic. <laughs> so, from there, being able to, like, oh, hey, like, I'm going to teleport over to the rock and, and start to, to work it out. You know, because, like, realistically, nobody had, like, a good way to fight this thing. Nope. I think uh, what what I was trying to do was 
honestly probably the best way with somebody already in tra- um trapped or mm-hmm. i guess grabbed just jump on it and break it yeah and it's all you can do right yeah um it's unfortunate that your character in particular has like quite low physical abilities because holding on was definitely challenging um hey man i made two of my three athletics checks you did you did like a champ um <laughs> but it's definitely a really cool visual right well, it's like this mm-hmm. thing is just beating and you're just like you're just praying that this thing like gets to the ceiling of whatever this area of silence is mm-hmm. um so it's it's yeah it's just it's it's interesting strategy it's interesting to like watch the players kind of like try and figure out like what they can even do how they can manage the terrain to like get in range and like unfortunately a lot of the players happen to be uh melee fighters so it's definitely more challenging in that respect um but that was the fun yeah and that's why i think part of dming is too especially when it comes to combat is like looking for ways to challenge your players in avenues that they normally wouldn't be and yeah you want opportunities for them to to really shine in combat too but i'm looking for chances for them to like you know have to fight in novel situations right i don't i think if it's always just like fighting in a featureless room i think that's boring you want opportunities for them to have to think about things differently i i mean yeah but you know thinking's for squares yeah and all the squares (laughs) make a circle Oh, I don't like where this went. <laughs> so, um, so how do you think your uh, current group of players would handle that fight? Um, well, it, I guess what's your current really... what's your current party? Well, we haven't played in um, six months. Um, okay, so maybe calling it that your current party is a little ambitious. Yeah. Um. And we haven't played my campaign in, like, a year. Okay, so functionally this game is on hiatus indefinitely, then. Yes. Um, but the the last group that I ran, um, it really would depend on who got grabbed. Mm-hmm. Um, because Dave's character was a monster of DPS, at range with a bow and he had like a 120 foot range normally and 240 feet um with a negative mm-hmm. so he would have he would have gotten some good shots off if he was not the one grabbed i, I think that I think the rock might actually have gone down just from him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it um, depends on how much HP you give it. Yeah. Um, so if he's not grabbed, I think it's not too much of a problem. And I think I would have like at certain thresholds, he would have just let go of whoever he grabbed. Yeah. I mean, the rocks are intelligent, right? That's yeah. something always to keep in mind. Um, the way I picked my victim in this case was uh, was partly positioning. Um, I looked at who was on the edge, um, and then from there I was kind of also looking, assessing like physical ability. So one thing that I did do was I actually picked a target based off of who had the lowest constitution, as I figured that would be like a good stand-in for like you know how like physically intimidating they might look. 
Um, and as it turns out, you and uh, Ollie have the same constitution score. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, it was between the two of you. So I guess my question is: Does your does the archer character in your party look physically intimidating? Is it something that like a creature might look at and think, "Yeah, I can make an easy meal out of that"? Um, in the party, I think he would go for probably Alan's character. I think Alan had the least con. Um. He was a a dragon soul sorcerer. I see. Uh, I take it back. They're not super smart. They have an intelligence of three, but they have a wisdom of ten. So, like I said, instinctually, they'd look at the creature that looks the least intimidating and probably try to snatch that. Yeah. Um, If they're not, like, starved or anything, they're going to go for easier prey. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um rock average HP is uh two sixty eight ish. Um depending on if it started to climb early, I think Dave could do that in maybe four rounds. If he started on round one, I think it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of factors that could key into that, like whether it climbs quickly, um, whether he's aware that this situation has occurred at all, I think is also yeah. important. Depending on when he starts shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing, um, is like it does it doesn't hit all that that hard. Um Yeah. You know, maybe like, you know, forty to fifty points of damage on average per round. Mm-hmm. Which like I mean is a lot depending on how on your characters, but you know, all things considered, it's it's a it's a dangerous creature. But I think like when I look at uh, at fights like this, I when I look at a monster like this, I'm like, what like wrinkle can I throw into this to make this more interesting? Mm-hmm. Let's see, what is a was a rocks HP and Pathfinder Second Edition? Good question. Do, 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 do. Oh, a rock is actually a. Uh... A challenge for the level my party is at. <laughs> okay. Uh, has 180 HP. Okay, so it's a bit bit squishier. Um, plus 21 to hit, 2d10 plus 12 piercing with its beak, 2d8 plus 12 uh, slashing plus a grab with its talons, or 2d6 plus 10 bludgeoning, and it can push 10 feet with its wings. Hmm. Um, It also has an ability where it can fly up to its speed and make two attacks for two actions. Um, And the two two attacks can be at any point during its movement. So it's basically taking three actions for two actions and getting an extra action afterwards. That makes it very mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it can fly half of its speed while it has a creature grabbed or restrained in either or both of its talons. 
and its oh. flying speed is 60 feet. Oh, interesting. The flight speed for the rock in 5e is 120. Hmm. Interesting. Um, that might be because it can take three move actions in Pathfinder. Hmm. Yeah, I could see how that might be. Might be why. So instead of dash giving it double movement, it can move three times. Yeah, if it really wants to book it, it can. Mm-hmm. Plus, it can attack while it's moving, apparently. Yeah. Or as a part of its of its movement, anyway. Um. That's that's a very powerful ability. I like that. <laughs> um. Yeah. So if you put it in a large area of silence, that becomes a whole lot more dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think if Dave doesn't get grabbed, this is a winnable encounter. If Dave does get grabbed, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to set up situations where it's like, I don't know how the players are going to resolve this this combat encounter, but, like, I'm fairly confident it can be resolved. Yeah. Even if the resolution is Dave gets carried off by a rock and then, you know, eaten alive. I mean, he could try to fight back. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Oh, I missed that campaign. I also think that the other thing, too, is, like, the area of silence is way less important to characters who aren't casters. So, like, our party in particular in my current campaign has a pretty high density of, like, characters who use spells for their ranged options. Um, Yeah. When you have dedicated archers, it definitely becomes less of a problem. Um, the, the problem here is that Julian is largely melee rogue. His only ranged weapon is a pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're James Bond, you're not really going to be able to shoot a rock out of the sky at, you know, 200 meters. Yeah. Um, Alan is a sorcerer, so he's just casting spells. And then um, Trey, I think, was a cleric. So, like, even in in, in Pathfinder 2e, um, clerics don't get a lot of great ranged options. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if he could cast spells, he wouldn't do, be doing a whole lot with them. No Guiding Bolt? Nope, no Guiding Bolt. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Fucking bullshit I, spell. I honestly don't know who said Guiding Bolt was okay to print. Gonna blame Perkins. <laughs> That's probably fair. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I am hoping that I get that we get back into like the regular swing of things, but unfortunately just September is gonna be pretty rough um, as far as you know, regular content is concerned. At least as far as like regular D&D content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, we're not going to be playing a whole lot. Yeah. Um, For the audience at home, I am very busy this month. I'm going to multiple weddings. Um, So I will not be available. And if at any point anyone else doesn't have the availability, 
Owen's also not playing and he's moving. So like there's at least one weekend where he's straight up not available too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's definitely challenging for sure. Um, so, and that's the other thing too, is like once I, once I end up moving, like it's going to be challenging. Cause I like, I don't think there's going to be like a local card store like nearby um, mm-hmm. where I'm going to be at. Um, certainly not nearly as close as like some of the ones are here already. Um, where yeah. I'm currently living. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to, like, find other people, you know, if I want to run a live game again, um, which is a bit of a bummer, because I'm going to be far enough away at this point where it's like, I can't realistically ask a bunch of my friends to drive two hours to go play D&D at my house. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, all right? At the very least, me, Alan, and Julian will do it once a month. <laughs> you know what? That actually is, if you guys are willing to to come on down, I will gladly you know, make the space. <laughs> and I can only say this with 100% confidence, because Julian lives in Homestead. Oh, okay. Um, and since he moved to Homestead, we've had several sessions. He has driven the hour and a bit to come up, and we have driven the hour and a bit to go down. <clears throat> um, okay. I think I think the first time it took me an hour and a half to get there. Um, and the second time it took almost the same, a little bit less. So like, we'll do it. Yeah. I mean, for him, it's a bit of a, it's, it's quite a bit of a hike to where I'm at, but, but yeah, I mean, if you guys are, are willing, I definitely would, would be more than happy to host a live game. If it's like once a month or something, I'll gladly make the time. I mean, yes, it's a bit of a hike for him, but he can drive to where Alan and I are, and one of us will drive the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Julian spending six, six and a half hours in a car <laughs> for D&D that day, but, like, I think he'd do it. Yeah, if it's, a, you know, I, I mean, I'm not gonna assume, but, you know, if he's willing to put in the time, <laughs> can make it make a whole day of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, eh, not quite six hours, like five. Um, well, you figure he's in the car at least an hour to get to me and Alan, and then he's in the car from where Alan and I are another almost two hours. Yeah. Each way. That's, that's six hours. Yeah, that's definitely fair. It's a bit of a hike, but yeah, I mean, I would like that. To me, it's because I do miss those live games, and truthfully, I miss mm-hmm. playing with you guys. <laughs> Same. So. Same. Would be fun. Would be fun for sure. And you never know; maybe we'll turn it into a, into a uh, into a thing. I, I do think it's important to have like home games that are are not necessarily recorded. But I definitely have have wanted to maybe do an actual play for that's like adjacent to the show at some point. I, I don't know when or if that will happen, but it's something that I've definitely rolled around and thought about. Yeah, we have talked about it. It's just uh, whether or not we have the time right now. Yeah, I mean, realistically, obviously, obviously, right now I don't even have time for my personal games. <laughs> but that's just part of D D, though, man. Like that's just that's just how it goes. Like sometimes you have time for for it, and other times, like life just gets in the way. But it's always there, you know, at the end. 
Sometimes you get to play seven days a week. Sometimes you don't play for six months. It just happens. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking, speaking of, just of playing happening. seven days a week. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I like your segue more. <laughs> that was my peak, and I was explaining. Any week, D&D. Can you and say that D&D one more time? Jason... Can you say that um, one more time? Uh, that was my peak. Uh, that was my peak. And I was explaining to somebody what we were playing to have role plays seven days a week. And they were like, how did you do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was legit playing seven days a week. All right, let's hear it, man. What was the schedule? Uh, I don't remember the exact days. But this was... Uh, we were playing your Star Wars game. Mm-hmm. I was running a Pokemon game. I was running a series of one-shots for some new player friends. Dylan was running Vane City. Uh, Sean was running a Pokemon game. Hold on. I'm trying to remember if it was Star Wars or Pokemon for the last campaign. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were five active campaigns, and on my off days, I was running one-shots for these new players. I think it was Pokemon. I think it was when we were really playing Pokemon a lot, and I was in three Pokemon campaigns. Yeah, I, I, that was another fun system that like was just a little bit too, too uh, cumbersome. Yeah, yeah. So, oh man, <laughs> yeah, that that's a lot. Um, yeah, I think the most I've ever played is maybe like a couple sessions, right? Like, I don't know if it's just that like my my weeks tend to be pretty pretty busy in general, but um, like I remember I, you know, I'll occasionally like I'll have my own game and then I'll be involved in playing in somebody else's, but it's really difficult for me to get that kind of time otherwise. Oh yeah, I can't do it now. I couldn't even try to play seven days a week now. I probably could, but not with any regularity. <laughs> like the thing is like my my life is so scheduled right now that like, it's very difficult for me to like find slush time to do that sort of thing. And like with D and D, like you really gotta kinda schedule it in advance. So like if I if I try and block out like sections of time or whatever, it would have to be like incredibly late at night. And, like, that just doesn't work with a lot of people. That's fair. It doesn't work with me, unfortunately. Because, you know, I'm a night person. But, like, being a night person with a day job isn't great. Yeah, it kind of (laughs) sucks. So... But uh, I think we'll go ahead and call that a show. Um, so uh, thank you so much, everybody, for stopping by and uh, kind of chilling with us as we kind of uh, reminisce a little bit and uh, and uh, have a little chat here. Um, as always, you can catch the show um, every Sunday on uh, you know your local podcast player. Uh, those are when we get uploads in. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at TIAFA Podcast. You can follow me directly at Vlad Viver or Marvin at Taiyugetsu online um we are pretty active on on the twitters and uh you can also join us on our discord um if you're interested in being a guest you can always reach out to us directly on twitter and we can work something out 
um, whether it's just to chat, if you have some questions, if you want to, you know, pop in for half an episode, whatever, we're here to do that. That's what we enjoy. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing about talking is a free action. It costs you nothing. It's almost like it's a free action. <laughs> so with that, um, you know, uh, thanks, everybody. You have a good one. Have a good one, everybody.